Hi. Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. We're going to take a look at week five of the CFL on the show tonight, as well as look back at the Garrett Marino hit. How's Regina talking about it? We'll find out from Rob Van Stone on the podcast. Let us start the show with just a look back at week five in the CFL. There were only three games this past week. We learned a few things, though. You don't mess with the champs, the stamps. Well, they're the stamps again. And if you want the entire CFL community to rally against you, cheap shot a quarterback late in a blowout. So let's get to all of it in the week five CFL recap. For just the fourth time this season, we get a game featuring two teams from the West. And for the fourth time, one of those teams is the Elks coming off their first win of the season. Could they hang with the undefeated Stampeders? The answer was a loud and resounding hell no. For a bit, Edmonton thought they could compete, trailing only 5-3 early in the second, but then it was 8-3 and 14-3, and then in the third, Sergio Castillo misses from 47 yards, and... Dan Peters will return, Logan, goal line at the 10, at the 20, picks up a block, at the 30, at the 40, down the sidelines, at the 50, midfield, Edmonton 50, Edmonton 40, Edmonton 30, 20, 10, 5, it's a touchdown, Calgary Stampeders! An incredible run by the Calgary Stampeders returner, Peyton Logan. Thanks, Mark. 122 yards. The onslaught continues. Logan adds a 21-yard TD run. It's 28-3, and then it's 35-3, and then the Elks fumble and return 63 yards for a touchdown. <sighs> With 5.51 to go, the Elks kick a field goal. It's 42-6. Good job, guys. 49-6 is the final score. The Stamps are 4-0. The Elks, they're really bad. Trey Ford got hurt in this one, by the way. And then the Elks traded Nick Arbuckle. More on that in a moment. The Red Blacks still looking for win number one, visiting the Rough Riders Friday night. Team straight field goals early on, 6-3 Saskatchewan, when Cody Fajardo hits Duke Williams for a score, 13-6. And then rookie Frankie Hickson rips one from 63 yards all the way to Pater to 19-6. Brett Lother missed the convert, oh well. 22-6 in the third, when Ottawa finally finds the end zone. Jeremiah Mazzoli to Nate Fahar to cut the lead to nine, but on the ensuing Riders drive, nine plays, 74 yards, bang, 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 capped off by a Fajardo pass to Keon Schaefer-Baker. It's 28 to 13, just under four minutes left. Let's just get this game over with. Everyone get along for a few minutes. Just get, no one get hurt on, no. Oh, Garrett Marino, what are you doing, man? Dives at the legs of Mazzoli. He's kicked out of the game. He's celebrating, beating his chest. Mazzoli's out for months now. Way to go, dude. Riders win, but everyone is mad at Marino, and rightfully so. And finally, the Bombers at the Lions Saturday night. A battle of undefeated teams who a lot of people think might be a little untested. The up-and-coming Lions squad against the defending champs who admittedly haven't looked spectacular on offense through four weeks to the point where former Bombers DB and now Lions defensive back Marcus Sale said it shouldn't be a big deal. No problem. They look vanilla. Don't poke the bear, Marcus. And it is deep to Janarian Grant at the 13-yard line. Benz at the 25, trying the right side. 30, 35, 40, 45. Grant going into BC territory. The kicker stumbled. Janarian Grant takes the opening kickoff for a touchdown. That's how you start. Electric run back from Grant, and they were just getting started. First Lions drive ends with a Jackson Jeffcoat interception of Nathan Rourke. That leads to a Zach Kolaris TD pass to Dalton Schoen. Lions then punt. And then the run game, much maligned through four games, gets cooking. Johnny Augustine for 11, then 7, then 7. Greg McRae for 22. Back to Augustine for 19. All this setting up a one-yard Drew Brown plunge. 21-zip bombers after one. It's 24-zip in the second. But remember last week in Toronto, big early lead, and then they almost blew it. Well, 
Here comes Rourke hitting Josh Pearson for a 66-yard score. And then later hits Dominic Rhines for 36 yards. Winnipeg gets a field goal. Holy fireworks, 27-14 at the half. The Bombers, though, create some more breathing room in the third. Mark Leggio with a field goal, and then Kolaris hits shown again. It's 37-14. Rhymes gets into the end zone in the fourth. Two-point convert. It's a 15-point game. Okay, Bombers go two and out. Oh, gosh. And never mind. Rourke is picked by Donald Rutledge. Next play, Kolaris to Ellingson. 43-22 is your final. Yes, despite all the scoring, it was done with over 11 minutes left in the fourth. The Bombers, they come into BC Place, they lay down the hammer, and the Lions, they were the story of the season through four weeks, but the Bombers just reminded everyone the road to the Grey Cup goes through Winnipeg. Week five is in the books. Now, about half an hour ago, the CFL announced that Garrett Marino, Rough Rider defensive lineman, was suspended for four games. Total of four games as a result of what happened Friday in the game against the Red Blacks. Two-game suspension for his dangerous and reckless low hit on Jeremiah Mazzoli, which resulted in Mazzoli's injury and Marino's ejection from the game and his subsequent dumb celebration. The dumb part, that's my word, not the CFL. Marino also made comments about Mazzoli's heritage during the game, which is a one-game suspension violating their code of conduct. And also had a reckless and illegal tackle of an Ottawa offensive lineman on a previous play. A total of four games. Which the CFL says is the most severe total discipline ever imposed for in-game behavior during one game. And it's really the biggest storyline to come out of week five in the CFL. I'd like to think it was the Bombers reminding everyone who's the boss, but no, it's Marino. But almost universal scorn. For Marino, the second-year defensive tackle. What are the, people the in Regina, Regina saying Regina about it? few days about what happened. I decided to call up our friend Rob Vanstone like from the Regina two, Leader Post earlier this afternoon sort of before we learned this one, Chris. about I mean, the length I don't of the suspension to find out. Condones that you don't want a player get hurt, but there seems to be the one extreme where he should be cut, released, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's another... The, the other poll is that, well, the Ottawa player pushed him into into uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli, and there have been worse hits than that, and arguably uh, more dangerous hits that have been sustained by the, the Rough Rider quarterback, Cody Pajardo. And it seems that a lot of, some people, there are a fragment of the, of the fan base here seems to be more inclined to, to look at it in terms of, yeah, but Ottawa started it. And then the other extreme is, this is unforgivable, he should go. I don't, I don't really get that there's a lot of middle ground here. It just seems to be, you know, uh, one opinion or the, the exact opposite. So if he had just walked off the field and gone to the locker room without banging and puffing his chest, would this be as big a story as it is today? I don't think so. I mean, it, it's terrible to see a quarterback injured for as long as Jeremiah Mazzoli is going to be out. And, uh, I mean, that was just, sickening to see but uh i mean there there are quite frequent situations now where when a quarterback gets hit low there's roughly the passer calls and, and the game just goes on we saw that happen to cody pajardo a week or two ago um it's just all the histrionics afterward you know a player is writhing in pain screaming in pain and uh, and you have someone carrying on like that for an extended period uh, it's not like he wasn't aware that something had gone awry. And it wasn't like it was just a, there was that reaction as soon as he gets hurt. And then when he sees that the quarterback's 
seriously and difficulty moderates it. I mean, it just it was prolonged and it, it really tarnished the entire entire game. So I I think it was like ninety percent of what happened afterwards. Not to diminish the the hit, but you know those those are going to happen. Uh, we've 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 seen something like that before, but I've never seen an extended. Um, <laughs> Whatever you call it, like uh, Garrett Marino uh, treated everyone to after the game or after he was expelled. Have you also seen the kind of rallying that we've seen across Canada? Basically, all everybody is saying is, this guy needs to get out of here. You talk about the no middle ground in Saskatchewan. I think it's all on the side against Marino in every other market, don't you think? I, that, that seems to be the, the tenor that I detect. Just, I mean, it's an unscientific. Yeah, uh, Twitter's survey, not real but life. You're, but you're, yeah. looking, you're looking at Twitter, and sometimes the most uh, you know polarized opinions are the ones that tend to get retweeted or responded to. So it doesn't really necessarily paint the, the exact picture, but there does seem to be that that mindset. Whereas I think here, the, the mindset seems to be a little bit more forgiving, and people will say, "Well, what happened when Simone Lawrence hit hit Zach Kalaros in Week One?" of the 2019 season and things like that. It's just like, there's sort of be, there's sort of a, well, this has happened to the riders too. Uh, you know, why wasn't anything done there? Uh, mindset. I, I tend to be more, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you need to cut Garrett Marino unless there's an absolute lack of contrition or there's other circumstances of which we are not yet aware. But I think there's a multi-game suspension that, that should be, uh, beat it out, and, and not just by the league. I think the Rough Riders need to uh, attack on some supplementary, supplementary discipline that is uh, substantial as well. Will that happen? Maybe we'll find out tomorrow. Is he a valuable member of this football team? Before this hit happened, was he a guy that was a difference maker on the roster? Well, their defensive line's been so good in general. They lead the league in quarterback sacks, and they generally rotate six players through four positions. You know, three defensive tackles playing two spots and three defensive ends rotating through two spots and he's been very good he hasn't been their their best defensive tackle i think that's anthony lanier the second by a considerable margin but he's a very good player and uh and when when he has control of his emotions he's a he's a definite asset and uh now you're looking at a situation for the rough riders with the rough riders with pete robertson who is leading the league in sacks with seven he's a defensive end and and looks like he's going to be on the shelf for a while and there's also the argument here that a that a cheap shot by an Ottawa offensive lineman against Pete Robertson precipitated the Garrett Marino hit on Jeremiah Mazzoli. So uh, suddenly, if the Rough Riders are without Pete Robertson and Garrett uh, Garrett Marino, that's a significant hole or two on a defensive line that's been really fearsome this year. Now they don't exactly have a a huge test ahead of them. A home and home with the Argonauts, who have not looked spectacular. A lot of games against the East to start the season for the Rough Riders. Just one game so far against the West, and it was against Edmonton until uh, Week Eight when they face BC. Do you, if you're a Rider fan, do you like how kind of easy the start of the season is schedule-wise? I'd almost look at it apprehensively and wonder if it's a true or can be a true barometer of of the type of team that says. Whereas last weekend we saw Winnipeg go into BC and basically say, no, this is still our title to lose. I mean, a very emphatic 
impressive victory over a BC team that had been leading all the power rankings. Beat Winnipeg went in there and proved a point. Whereas the Rough Riders, to no fault of their own, they really haven't had that opportunity yet. The only West team that they've faced is Edmonton, and while we've seen what Edmonton's been like this year. So conceivably, the Rough Riders could and probably should be 7-1 and one going into that first game against BC. And that they might be 7-1 and one and no better than average, conceivably, uh, because we don't know. Then suddenly they play BC three out of four games, and then they play Winnipeg three out of four games. The only interruption in either of those stretches is one game against Edmonton. So six out of eight games are against Winnipeg or BC, and that will decide so much of the hierarchy, I think, in the West Division this year. It should be great, but I think you got it's almost like you got to get through the preliminaries before you can get to the a number of main events. It should be very compelling. Uh, as we get into late July and into August. Three games with the Bombers in September, followed by a visit to Hamilton and then a home-and-home with the Stampeders, who have kind of flown under the radar a bit, don't you think, Rob, this this season? They're undefeated as well coming into Winnipeg on Friday night. Now, again, most of the games have been East versus West so far this season, but nonetheless, I think we're looking at a, a West division here that's, uh, how, what what do you need? How many games do you need to win to get a home playoff game? You think? Yeah, I just you wonder unless everybody just takes turns beating each other. Yeah. Maybe you won't need. Maybe you won't need a pile of them if it's if if, if that uh, if BC you know Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, and Calgary just take turns splitting with each other. You might have a situation. I think like in '88, there were three teams that, that tied for first at eleven and seven. <laughs> you know, it, it might be. You might not see a, a bomber type record this year. You might not see a, a, a fourteen and four, or fifteen and three, uh, even a thirteen and five. Because if, if there is that legitimate parity, you might, you know, ten wins might get you a play a home playoff game. It, it, it is going to be so great once uh, once we get past past your line. You start seeing these West games every week. I just I can't imagine everything will have that playoff feel, and there will still be hopefully a few months before snow returns. That's true. And uh, speaking of snow, the Grey Cup is in Regina this year in late November. God only knows what the weather will be like uh, that night. Uh, obviously, Saskatchewan fans would love to be there, uh, just like it was about a decade ago at Taylor Field when they won against the Tiger Cats. What's the? Is that getting talked about at all right now? I know tickets went on sale a little while ago. Or, or is that kind of just in the back of everyone's mind that they could get to host a, be in a great cup that is in their own backyard. I think there's always that pressure, especially with what happened in 2013 when the riders did win the great cup at home. So the, the bar has been set there. There isn't that voracious appetite to see the rough riders win a great cup at home because now that has been done. And, uh, in, in the last ever great cup at Taylor field, you, you can't really get a better scenario than that in terms of the storybook. But there is that expectation and that pressure. And even if the Grey Cup wasn't here this year, consider that the Rough Riders have lost out to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers three straight years in the playoffs, and Winnipeg has won two straight Grey Cups. Um, I think the Grey Cup could be played in, in Alaska this year, and I still think there would be that expectation or that uh, notion of the Rough Riders have to get past Winnipeg. That's been their nemesis. 2018, 2019, and 2021. It's. Uh, I remember growing up, and the Rough Riders seemed to lose in the Western Final to Edmonton every year. And, and then in 1976, they beat Edmonton 23-13 to get to the Grey Cup. But it was there was a, a buildup of three games against Edmonton, all close games, an arch rival, and everything. And then 76 it changes. And I think that's the kind of scenario that 
I remember going into 76, it was, can the Riders beat Edmonton? Now here we are going, you know, 2022, and it's, can the Riders beat Winnipeg? Can anybody beat Winnipeg? That is, that's the question around the Canadian Football League, and that's hardly a new one uh, since uh, dating back a year or two or even three, I guess. Well, Rob, before I let you go, I always like to ask you about the Winnipeg Jets since you're a big fan of the team. Last time I had you on, they hadn't had her to coach yet. I don't think Rick Bonus was on our radar at all in our conversation, but he is the coach now. Free agency opens in uh, less than two days. What What are your just general feelings right now about the Jets? It, it's the Rick Bonus thing is growing on me more. I, the more I think about it, Christian. I mean, I was surprised at the start until I thought about it a bit. And, why was it such a surprise? You know, True North likes people who have some attachment to Winnipeg. Rick Bonus certainly has that as a player and a coach. Uh, they wanted someone with someone with experience. He certainly has that. They wanted someone who can who has an attention to detail and a comprehension of defensive hockey. Rick Bonus is certainly that that coach. You look at the way, the way some of the younger players thrived in in Dallas and and now you're looking at okay what can this do with with players who are in their mid 20s like like Ealers like Kyle Connor um and I really like the fact that Rick Bonus had that conversation with Mark Shifley and that it seems to have gone well because especially with the uncertainty now with Dubois uh, I think uh, it's good to good to know that uh, maybe there's been a bit of a mending of the fences or a bit of a fresh start from Mark Shifley too. So I feel better about it than I thought I would feel when initially it was like, Oh gee, they didn't get Barry Trotz. Everything else is crumbs. Um, I, I really like this hiring. I think it's a, it's a really nice fit for the organization. And I think he is what they need perhaps without the price tag that Barry Trotz would command and perhaps without the rigid adherence to everything so defensively oriented that it might just squeeze the life of the team from a spectators or aesthetic standpoint. If the Jets do trade Blake Wheeler this offseason, and I'm not sure they will. It sounds like they might. And that, even if it happens, I'm not sure they'll name a, a new captain going into this season. But if they were, who should be the next captain of the Winnipeg Jets in your view? I, I think Josh Morrissey just radiates captain. Um, he's, there, are, there are players that, are, that I think have more seniority. I, you know, I think I think. I think Adam Lowry would be a, would be an excellent choice as well, but I really like Josh Morris. I just think he's so solid. He's the conscience of the team in, in many ways as it is, and he's a great spokesman for the team. I don't think he's as, he has the chip on his shoulder that, that Blake Wheeler has seemed to have had, so I think there might be just less abrasiveness there overall. I really like Blake Wheeler as a player and as a captain, and I actually kind of hope that he stays because when you look at his numbers, I, I wonder why people – Keep talking about him as a player who's. It sounds like they It sounds like people are just writing him off as over the hill, but he's actually still very productive. I still think he can help them. But if if he if there is a passing of the sea, I I, I just think Josh Morrissey would be perfect for it. I think that's a good choice, Rob. Appreciate your time. Thanks for this, and we'll check in uh, later in the season. We'll probably be speaking a lot in September. But until then, have a great summer. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Christian, and and go Jets. I am now pumped about hockey season. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. Come on and thanks for all the fish. I'm so sad that it should come to this. Try to warn